0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. I trust you've been following us over the last several weeks. I know we are new to several networks. And so some of the things that we may be saying are uh, stretching you uh, But we encourage you to tune in every week if you can. I believe you're going to be blessed by the gospel that's shared. Uh, Just by way of introduction, again, I'm Dr. Lynn Hiles. I'm the host of That You Might Have Life. And you will, over the next couple weeks, months, uh, see different styles of ministry. We do a lot of stuff in our studio, which is what we're doing to kind of get introduced to you. But you'll see some footage of us preaching in different places. Also, let me just say uh, quickly that you could go to YouTube and put in that you might have life or my name, and you will see all kinds of videos come up of uh, of our program from a different network, and everything we have aired to date is pretty much archived there on YouTube. You can subscribe to that. Also, uh, on several of these networks, you can get um, uh, Roku. You can download the channel on Roku on your uh, Uh, internet device. And uh, anywhere in the world, if you have friends that have, you know, a Roku uh, or even a smart TV, they can watch us on YouTube. But each one of these networks also have a channel and it will stream to your smart device your 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 iPhone or your uh, Android device. And and you can get our program so many different ways. Tell people about us and share it on your Facebook when you go on. If you like something that you hear, you've seen preached on our program, kind of share it on Facebook a little bit and get help us to get the gospel out and the message. That's so simple to do that without any cost. It really is. I believe our internet audience is uh, uh, about as responsive as our television audience. So uh, please do that. Uh, we're going to get back in the Word, though. We've been introducing a lot of things to you in the last several weeks, but we in the last two weeks we've been talking from Psalm chapter 149, and we're going to go back there again today, and we're going to uh, begin to unpack this from Psalm 149. We, we started out two weeks ago, I believe it was, dealing with singing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of saints. Let me read it and then we'll, we'll jump right into the Word. It says, Praise ye, the Lord, singing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto Him with temporal harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people who beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds, and let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints, praise ye the Lord. Now, the, two weeks ago, and once again, you can go back to YouTube and uh, watch these, or you could also go, by the way, to iTunes and sign up for our podcast there, and uh, it will be delivered straight to your phone. you get the audio portion of it, so you can follow so many different ways, but we, 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 we did one whole program on sing unto the Lord a new song, and what we showed you in that first segment is that the new song was the song of redemption. Revelation the fifth chapter says, and they sang as it were a new song, singing, Thou hast redeemed us. So the new song is the song of redemption. In the new covenant, you have been redeemed from the curse of the law. We talked about uh, everything in the scripture just about that was new. We talked about how there's a new song. There's new tongues. There's a new mercies every morning. There's a new man, a new nature, a new covenant. There's a new heaven, a new earth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Isaiah said, behold, I do a new thing. So the song that's a new song is the song of the new covenant. That's the new song. That's what God was about to do that was new when Isaiah was prophesying of a coming new thing. We, however, are living in that new day, and we are living and should be singing the song of redemption. And that's what you're going to hear come from this message. If there's ever been a day when I believe God is calling His men and women of God to sing a new song, it's today. Now, the second thing we've dealt with was, He said, let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him, and let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. And uh, what we shared with you last week was out of the book of Hebrews, where he said, for you have not come to the mount that might be touched. You did not come to blackness and darkness, and you did not come to a voice of words and a God who says, if you touch the edge of the mountain, you will be thrust through with a dart. That mountain was Mount Sinai, where the law was given. That is a huge symbol of the Old Covenant place, Mount Sinai. And then in contrast to that, he says, but you are come to Mount Zion. In other words, you did not come to Mount Sinai, but you are come. You're not coming to, but in the New Covenant, you have come to Mount Zion. And the contrast there is that Zion, in contrast to Sinai, is Sinai, Old Covenant, Zion, New Covenant. Now you have come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the city of the living God, and you have come to a feastal gathering of angels, and you have come to the General Assembly, Of the church of the firstborn which is written in heaven. You have come to Jesus who is the mediator of a new covenant. That's not in the future. You've already come there. And you've come to a blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And you've come to that voice that speaks from heaven. And we contrasted last week and showed you how he said, if the voice that spoke from earth shook everything. In other words, if the voice that spoke from Mount Sinai shook everything that could be shaken then, how much more, he said, shall the voice that's speaking to us from heaven? Again, what's the contrast? The voice that came from earth was Sinai. The voice that's coming from heaven is coming from Zion. So the voice that's coming from heaven is the message of the new covenant. And he said it was going to shake everything that can be shaken. Now remember, he's talking to Hebrews here. Who are in transition from an old covenant? That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about: is moving from an old covenant paradigm. That everything about this new covenant is better. It's got better blood, better promises, a better priesthood, a better tabernacle, better faith, better, better promise line. Everything about it's better. It's got a more excellent way, a more excellent ministry. Everything about it. And so what Paul is doing, actually Hebrews 13, I believe it is verse nine, says the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is so that your heart could be established in grace. So what was happening was with this change that was taking place in this first century to these Hebrews that were crossing over out of the old covenant and into the new covenant was everything that they knew that could be shaking was being shaky. So that what remained was a kingdom that cannot be removed. And what was doing the shaking was not nuclear bombs or something that we've set out way out in our future. What was shaking everything was this new covenant was coming on the scene, and everything that could be shaken was being shaken and being removed. And then he comes into the end of the uh, chapter of Hebrews 12 and says, listen, our God is a consuming fire, but he tells us that we, that we have grace that we might serve God acceptably with reverence for our God is a consuming fire. And so the fire, even the literalness of the fire came in A.D. 70 when God so dismantled that system that the temple was burnt to the ground. Zion was like a plowed field. All of a sudden, God had removed everything that was being shaken that He might replace it with a kingdom that cannot be moved. The kingdom was introduced 2,000 years ago. Now, I believe that we are still, we are now seeing again a reemergence of really a clear word of grace, a real clear word of the new covenant. And for those who have slipped back into an old covenant paradigm, This word of grace is shaking everything that can be shaken again. Because I'm telling you the word that flows from heaven, the word that flows from Zion, say it another way, the word that flows from Mount Zion shakes everything that can be shaken. And then he goes on, let them praise him in the dance, let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. And uh, once again, this verse, again, everything about this psalm is screaming new covenant to me. When he says, uh, uh, he will beautify the meek with salvation, immediately I'm reminded of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, when he begins to introduce what we commonly call the Beatitudes. You say, Dr. Howes, what is a Beatitude? Well, the Beatitude is an attitude you need to be in, (laughs) It simply is attitudes that teach you how to receive the kingdom and then attitudes that teach you how to release and administer the kingdom. So when he comes on the scene, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You've got to remember again the audience relevance. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to scribes, Pharisees, a people under an old coveted paradigm, and He's saying to them, unless you get hungry and thirsty for another kind of righteousness, in other words, He's talking to dudes who already think they're righteous based on their performance. And He says to them, if you don't get hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you're never going to be filled. So He's talking to dudes who already think they're righteous. He said, your, your blasts are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, to me, the meek doesn't mean wimps or, uh, I, I, you know, or somebody that's mealy-mouthed, kind of, you know, I'm just a weakling. No, no. It means that where God is concerned, they've humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God, and they've said there's somebody greater than I am. God gives more grace to the humble. Uh, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we come to the place where we realize, I cannot do this by my might or by my power or by my human strength or by my human performance, but it's by His Spirit, then all of a sudden God gives more strength, more grace to the humble and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, a number of years ago I heard somebody that was a theologian teach and said, I don't know what that means. He said, I think that means that the, you know, the the weak are going to inherit the earth. No, no, you know, or or the... uh, the wimps, I don't know any other term to use here, and he's saying to them, I, I think they're going to inherit the earth. But I said, well, what are you going to do with the part that says we're blessed then, most happy, and to be envied of these meek? And, uh, you know, he said, I don't know what that means, the meek shall inherit the earth. Here's, here, here's, and, and here's, here's my response. I said, I'd just like to have a shot at what I think that means. Here's what I think that verse means. I think it means the meek will inherit the earth. I believe that what he's saying here is that The earth belongs to the Lord, not the devil and his crowd. And while I am not by any stretch of the imagination trying to take heaven from you, I am also telling you that in my copy of my Father's will, it says the meek will inherit the earth. That is an inheritance clause, folks. That means the earth, not only does heaven belong to you, but the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. One of the things that I want to wake up my audience to is that God is not finished with the earth. Jesus didn't come to save you from the world. He came to be the Savior of the world. And I believe that the focus and the purpose of the church is to be the vehicle of the kingdom of God to establish His reign and His dominion in the earth for the meek will inherit the earth. Now you can do with that whatever you want to, but I have with me, if you will, in my iPad, a copy of my father's last will and testament. And when I think about that, I like to think about the Old Testament as being, my father wrote a will and testament one day. He called it an Old Testament. And then he sent his son to be about the father's business. And the son was such an incredible businessman that the father got richer. And since the father got richer and had so much fun with his first son, he said, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring many sons into glory. I'm going to have a whole bunch of sons just like the first one. And when he did that, he said, I need to revise the will and write a new testament, if you will, a new last will and testament. I love this. Then the apostle gets a hold of that in Hebrews and he says this, but without the death of the testator, the will is not effective. And so I love this. So he came and wrapped himself in human flesh and died so you could get what's in the will. Man I feel the preacher sneaking up on me a little bit here today because I want to tell you to touch somebody near you and tell them somebody died and left you something. Hallelujah. Somebody, man the richest will that's ever been, hallelujah, given to humanity. We have a copy of it, probably most of us, on a table somewhere with dust written on it because we've never read our copy of the will, and so we settle out of court and get beat out of half of what belongs to us. And the truth of it is, is man, somebody died and left you something. But I love this, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, not only did, uh, is the will not effective without the death of the testator, so Jesus died so we could get it. But this is what I love. He got back up from the dead to be the administrator of His own will to make sure you get what He said you could have so that you cannot beat me out of my share of what's in the will. And in my copy of the will, it said the meek will inherit the earth. If you want to just go to heaven and that's all you want, that's up to you. But He promises me not only heaven, but He promises me heaven and earth. So the best of both worlds, when Jesus said in Matthew 28, all power is given to me in heaven and in our city. The gospels, uh, the, avant- the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the story of how God became king in the person and work of Jesus Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection because they were expecting the kingdom and they were expecting, hallelujah, a king. And that king came on the scene and he is presently right now Raining. Somebody died and left you something, man. It's in your copy of the will. And, the, the, and in your copy of the will, it says this. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The earth and all they that dwell therein, for He hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods who shall ascend into the hill of God, but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This is the generation of them that seek your face, O Jacob, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? He is the Lord strong and mighty in battle. Is His name See, la, hallelujah. He says in Psalm 37, Yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. You will diligently consider his place and will not find it. But the meek will inherit the earth and dwell therein forever. See, it's in your copy of the will. You can do whatever you want to with what's in your will. But i got an attorney, own retainer. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he ever lives to litigate. As a matter of fact, as I read this psalm, and one of the first times I ever read this psalm, I came to the end of it where he said, to execute vengeance upon the heathen, and punishment upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all of us. Saints praise you, the Lord. All of a sudden, uh, you know, back in my early days before I really began to see the gospel of grace, uh, you know, I kind of preached this like, boy, we're going to execute judgment. We're going to smite the earth as often as we will with plagues. We're going to call down fire from heaven. We're going to destroy every city. But you know, Jesus actually rebukes his own disciples for that kind of mentality. Whenever that Jesus had his face set as though he would go to another city and they did not receive him, the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, Lord, do you would you let us let us call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? And Jesus rebukes them and said, You don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And now I want to say something to you. He was not rebuking them for having a demonic spirit. He was rebuking them for operating in an old covenant spirit or an old covenant mindset, because the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to seek and to save them. So when I thought about this, to execute judgment and to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, all of a sudden my attorney came to me. Because it says, this honor have all of his saints to execute the judgment written. My attorney came to me and he said, Lynn, listen, man, judgment is not always a bad thing. And see, first, you know, first time you hear the word judgment, you're like, boom, boom. You know, I don't know if I, you know, man, I'm under the judgment of God type thing. But see, he said, if you are ever in a court case, if you are the defendant, let's say you are the defendant, and, and the judge drops the gavel and he says, the judgment is in favor of the defendant. That means you won. Now let me tell you, there was a judicial decision made 2,000 years ago and a judgment on Calvary's cross where Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of this world judged. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Let me tell you, that judgment took place 2,000 years ago. The prince of this world was judged. And the honor that we have as his saints is to execute upon those nobles and principalities and powers and kingdoms and thrones to dethrone them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Because when Jesus in Matthew 28 said, all power, hallelujah, has been given it to me in heaven and in earth, and then on the heels of him himself, he says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, the honor that we have as, as, as his saints is an honor to execute a judgment that was already written. And when he's talking about executing this judgment written, in other words, it's a done deal. It's been paid for. But what we have to do, <clears throat> my attorney said, when you win that, and the, he says, the judgment is in flavor of the defendant, and you win the case. He said, do you know what that means? I said, what? He said, absolutely nothing if you don't execute the judgment that was written. In other words, if you don't collect on the lawsuit, if you don't cash the check, you may be the richest man in the world, but if you don't execute the judgment written, it means absolutely nothing. And I really think this is where there really needs to be some balanced preaching. I have a series titled, Execute the, the, I think it's called, Execute the Will, that deals with this in extent. You can order that by going on, Execute the Will. Also, I think one that's very, very powerful, one of the most important pieces of work I've done in a long time is called, The Way of Grace and the Walk of Faith. Because what I do is show the difference between the objective and subjective sides of the gospel. Because there's a lot of stuff that was finished in the objective side of the gospel. And I've done it like this to, to try to explain it because see, what happens is, is that we preach either the extremes of the sovereignty side of God without any response from man, or we preach the extremes of, of uh, man's performance and we leave out God's sovereignty. And it's not either or, but it's both of them held in a careful tension. It is what I call The objective side of the gospel was what God did in Christ without any help from you. It was what God purposed and did sovereignly without any human effort or help. That's the objective side of the gospel. That's the way of grace. The subjective side is the walk of faith. It is man's response to what God has given to us. Say it another way. The first time I ever preached this, I pulled out a $20 bill. And I laid it on an altar. It was actually in Trinidad, West Indies. And if you're watching us in Trinidad, Tobago, I know that we air there on some channels. And I laid it on the uh, altar, and I said, this $20 bill, which in their economy at that time was worth $120 of their dollars. I said, this $20 bill has been freely provided by grace to anybody who wants to access this grace by faith. And so if you want this $20 bill, all you got to do is come and get it. You didn't earn it. It's freely provided by grace. And people looked at me for a little while, and then finally somebody really responded, ran up and got it. And so I said, no, it's not a trick. That's your gift. So, and and I said that that person that got up and came to get this $20 bill just accessed this grace by faith. And so what happened is when I laid the next $20 bill down, there's about 12 or 15 people that made a storm to get that $20 bill. And I think it's the same way with healing. It's the same way with salvation. It's freely provided by grace, and the only thing that has to access it is our faith. We access this grace by faith. And I think we're the extremes, I believe, have come into the message of grace, and, and uh, some of the extremes is when we overemphasize the sovereignty side without, or the objective side of the gospel, grace, and we, or we overemphasize the faith side of it, man's response to either one of them I like to explain it like this. It's like the cross. The truth is always somewhere right in the middle. If you go too far to the left, it's a thief. If you go too far to the right, it's a thief. In other words, if you overemphasize the objective side or the Calvinistic side uh, and and sovereignty, and their scriptures are powerfully there. And then you, or, or you're, you're going to get out of balance and what's going to be, you'll become a spiritual couch potato, everything's done, nobody needs to believe, nobody needs, you know, to respond or anything. But over here, if you get to the other side, then it becomes about, the other side is about Arminianism or, or man's response to it or, or the subjective side of the gospel, and then we get into formulas, and did you say it right, did you hold your mouth right when you said it, you know, and it becomes a labor and a work and a sweat, but see, faith is not a labor or a work, it's a response to hearing the real gospel, but it's not either or, it's all of them. And so people say, well, it's all done, it's all accomplished, Well, then, you know, here's how I say it too, not only is my salvation accomplished, but so is my healing. But there are times when my body doesn't say that I'm healed. So what do I do? I access this grace by faith because this honor have all of his saints to execute the judgment written and to bind their nobles with fetters. And so uh, it is his joy to beautify the meek with salvation. So when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the meek inherit. So are you seeing where I'm coming from? In other words, someone has to execute this warrant. I mean, in other words, the, the, the judicial decision was made 2,000 years ago. Jesus was declared to be Lord by the resurrection of the dead. He is presently King. He's not going to be King. He's King right now. He's not going to be Lord. He is Lord right now. Now, every knee has not bowed and every tongue has not confessed that He is Lord yet, hallelujah, but I promise you the reality of it is, it's not because Jesus is not presently reigning. So whenever I see these things, execute the vengeance upon the heathen, And, uh, you know, he talks about uh, this honor have all of his saints. He's talking about simply taking the finished work of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel. Because when you preach what Jesus did and what he finished, they're not believing to make it true. They're believing because it is true. But faith is what accesses. In other words, you could leave that $20 bill, lay there on that table till the cows come home. But until somebody responds and accesses that grace by faith and uses what's been given to them freely, it's worthless. In that same meeting, I grabbed a box of tissues because I'd given away several $20 bills, but I, I grabbed a box of tissues. I said, this is healing, and it's freely given by grace to anybody who needs the healing they can access. And, and although I know that was a natural thing, faith began to rise in those people. And before that, I mean, that box of tissues was completely empty because people were, by faith, beginning to reach out and access what was theirs. Hallelujah, by faith. So when he's talking about one of the ways that we access is that we are... We, 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 uh, we let the saints be joyful in glory. We sing the high praises of God. Let them praise His name in the dance. Let them sing praise unto Him with a terminal heart. In other words, part of our worship and praise is a celebration of what Jesus has accomplished and done in His finished work on Calvary's cross. And somebody will execute the vengeance. It is both The Way of Grace and The Walk of Faith. And once again, you can order either one of those series, Execute the Will or The Way of Grace and The Walk of Faith by calling the number that's on the screen or going to our website and getting it. You can get an instant download even there for that. Uh, We're out of time. Uh, If you take a moment to call the number on the screen, if you want to order any one of those series, you can do that. Also, please think about Uh, sowing something into the ministry to help us take the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom around the world. If you're enjoying us, tell your friends about us. Get behind us, and it takes your support to be able to do this. And uh, uh, just be obedient to the Holy Spirit. I believe all grace is given to you, and you know how to respond to His leading. Do it today. Call that number on the screen or go online and give via credit card. God bless you. Thanks for joining in. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, This book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.